people don't necessarily know that this doesn't have to be a career. And uh, this can be something that is, uh, you know, an add-on to, to your life, uh, a fantastic add-on to your life. Welcome to Flying BC, a podcast about the people, planes, and aviation adventures in British Columbia and Canada, with your host, Warwick Patterson. Hello, and welcome back to Flying BC. I've been suffering the joys of aircraft ownership for the past couple weeks, as I took my mall into the shop for a simple oil change, and two weeks later, it's still under the knife. But hopefully I'll have that back soon for some spring fun. In the meantime, I recently announced the dates for this year's Brown Bag Flyout series, coming this summer to Seashell, Princeton, Vanderhoof, and Golden, with some camping nights mixed in. Check out the details on flyingbc.com and the BCGA website, bcaviation.ca. And if you're interested in spending a long weekend at Aviation Adventure Camp, featuring guest speakers, survival and mountain flying seminars, all in a stunning backcountry setting, well, save the date for July 31st to August 2nd. This long weekend is going to be limited to under 20 people. So if you want to be first in line when it comes time to sign up, I encourage you to go to flyingbc.com and sign up to the mailing list. And I promise I won't spam you, but you won't want to miss this. On to this episode. In North America, we enjoy a freedom of the skies that is the envy of the rest of the world. And a lot of that is due to strength in numbers and advocacy efforts from organizations like COPA, the Canadian Owners and Pilots Association. There's a lot of change and new faces coming into the COPA head office in the past few months. And as a member and regional director, I'm excited to see the organization revitalized. So I asked COPA's new president and CEO, Christine Gervais, to come on the show to talk about what COPA has up its sleeve for the future and what she sees as the organization's strengths and opportunities. Whether you're a COPA member or not, this episode is worth a listen. Well, Christine, thank you for joining me on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Um, you, I brought you on as COPA's president and CEO because um, you, you've been there for about eight months, nine months now. And uh, I thought we could kind of use this as a almost a state of the union address or something like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, and just kind of tell people what COPA is all about and um, why it's important to be involved with COPA if you're a pilot or owner or aviation enthusiast in Canada. Um, but I wanted to start off with a little bit about your background because um, you started off, I, I was I was doing some research, and um, you actually studied biology, was it, in university? And then was was aviation on your radar then, or was that an unexpected career switch? So, uh, no. So, aviation was definitely not on my radar at that time. Uh, my original plan was actually to become a doctor. Um, and at that point, the only plane I'd ever been on um, were the ones that took me uh, down south for a holiday. And it really at that, like never really occurred to me that one day I could be driving one of those planes. Um, it wasn't really until the end of my third year during uh, a summer job. I was working at a, at a um, summer camp with, with kids and we ended up at the Aviation Museum. And I stood outside and I was looking at the small planes take off and land. Um, and that piqued my interest. Um, so I got very curious and, uh, it was enough for me to actually look through the phone book because yes, at the time 
Um, I needed a phone book to to find phone numbers. The internet had not even been invented yet. Um, so uh, I found a phone book for the Ottawa Flying Club and the Rockcliffe Flying Club. I booked an intro flight at both those places, and um, I, I was hooked from that moment. And uh, at that moment, Canada lost a potential doctor. And uh, you know, it's uh, I, I contributed that to uh, to the day that I really started the greatest adventure of my life. Um, I took the next year uh, to earn my private pilot license. Um, I wanted to make sure that this was really uh, where I was going to go um, with my life. And, um, and obviously it, it was. Uh, every flight that I took convinced me that this is definitely, um, you know, what, what I felt like I, I wanted to do uh, every day. It didn't feel like work at all. Uh, so after I earned my private pilot license, I enrolled into uh, the commercial, uh, sorry, the pilot, the professional pilot program that the Ottawa Flying Club offered at the time. And um, while I was finishing off my commercial time, I was given the opportunity by this lovely man called David Coburn, who was a COPA member at the time, uh, to finish my hours on his Aronka Tampon float, which was not nice. far from Ottawa. So, um, I, you know, um, I ended up doing uh, 50 hours on his plane, which was enough at the time to land me a job uh, my first job as a uh, float plane pilot in the Perry Sound area and uh, started flying a Cessna 180 and uh, moved on to the Beaver three months later. And uh, that was really, that was my favorite plane ever um, was, was flying that Beaver. It became uh, an extension of me. I felt like sometimes just landing in, in these lakes with no one except me and the loons, sometimes watching the loons bought to landing. Uh, it, it was uh Lots, lots of stories, lots of adventures. I think uh, uh, definitely too long for uh, for this podcast. <laughs> I could keep talking forever. Um, but from there, I moved on to survey flying. So I did end up flying um, for a couple of years in Africa, uh, almost a year in South America. I did fly in the Arctic. Um, and again, those are definitely uh, stories to uh, to share over uh, a pint or two. Mm. Um, and uh, and then from there, I went to um, uh, corporate flying, which to me was not uh, as 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 interesting. I wasn't as uh, fascinated, and uh, um, I ended up um, through through those experiences. Though um, I, uh, you know, I uh, I ended up with the love of my life, which is now my 16 year old son, uh, who's my pride and joy. And uh, I guess as I found myself as a single mom with a baby on the way. I looked at other ways to earn a living, um, but still keeping a foot inside uh, the aviation world, and that's uh, that's when I started my my journey towards the air traffic control. Yeah, and you spent uh, what was it, 15 years or something at Nav Canada as an air traffic controller, and then in the operations side. Yeah, so um, I was an air traffic controller in the Ottawa Control Tower for um, close to 10 years. And after that, I moved over to the management side of things on uh, in the operations, uh, first in the National Operations Center. Um, so the National Operations Center is the uh, coordination center for air traffic uh, management uh, across the country and um, with uh, the FAA as well. So um, it's, uh, you know, uh, sort of getting um, an, an overview of, of what's happening uh, in the country. Uh, what can potentially happen in the country, especially at the four majors, um, planning flow times uh, and coordinating, coordinating with the FAA. 
Uh, so that was a very interesting position. Um, and then I was given an opportunity to go to a different management position, level of service. Uh, it was Monday to Friday, nine to five. I had never done that ever. Uh, so I had no idea what that would, would, would entail. And I have to say it's, it's really hard to go back to, uh, not nine to five, uh, after you've, you've done it. But I, to me, that was, that was definitely a new concept. And uh, that's where I learned all of my management skills, and and you know, and that's really when I I learned all about Popa uh, through our uh, you know Popa is, is a stakeholder in in NAP Canada, and um, that's really I got to know Bernard, and uh, and I, I and I immediately felt uh, a connection. I immediately felt at home uh, when I was having our, our discussions uh, with with Copa uh, through our different level of service reviews. Cool. And um, level of service studies are hot topic right now around Canada, especially with COVID. Uh, Nav Canada is doing a lot of them. Uh, I guess judging where they can make cutbacks, um, where they need to keep service. What's what's involved with a level of service study? What 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 is that all about? Um, so during my time there, uh, basically Nav Canada does have a level of service policy. Uh, it is available online to the public. And they refer to that whenever, um, you know, in order to do um, a level of service assessment, um, you know, it has to fit within that policy document. Um, and it, it clearly states that money can't be a reason to evaluate a site for uh, its, its uh, for the, the requirement of the service at the specific site. It's clearly stated in there. Um, and basically what it does is, you know, uh, the aviation world is, is a fluid world. It's, it's a world in motion. Um, you know, it, it's not constant. So, you know, the idea was to make sure that the proper level of service was being offered at the proper sites across the country. Uh, sometimes it meant closing certain sites and taking that manpower and putting it somewhere else where it was required. Uh, you know, for instance, um, you know, when I was there, we opened a tower in Red Deer and we reopened the tower in uh, Mirabel because, uh, you know, there was increase in, in traffic at the time there. And then there was such a decrease in, in the amount of traffic in Buttonville because, you know, of all the talks of, of the airport closing and becoming uh, condominiums and stuff like that, everybody, everybody at the time sort of got out uh, of Buttonville. So there was no, there was no requirement there. Uh, it was assessed that there was no necessity for air traffic services to, to be there. And, and so NAV Canada does this review constantly over and over. Um, you know, they, they want to have their services where it's required and it's not always, you know, it doesn't stay the same. It's not stagnant all, all the time. Obviously the four majors are usually probably going to be the same. I think what's different this time is that they're very much stretching the usage of their policies. Um, you know, they're using the fact that there's no overnight services or barely any overnight traffic and there hasn't been uh, over a period of time, yet there's no mention of that being a criteria in their level of service document. So I, I think that right now, um, as much as they're saying that it has nothing to do with budget cuts, um, you know, I don't think that they can say to the rest of the world that it doesn't because the rest of the world sort of knows that it is. Um, not saying that that's not right. I mean, they're they're losing billions of dollars every day, every week. Um, sorry, millions of dollars every day and and every week. So 
uh, obviously they have to do something, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, safety shouldn't be compromised. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think by, you know, uh, letting go of all of the contra- controllers that they've already let go, everybody that was in training was let go. Um, even those that were, uh, you know, they've let go of many of the controllers inside the centers by combining sectors uh, because they could right now. But when things ramp up, things are going to change. Yeah, we so, already had a shortage before this, and then <laughs> all those people are gone. So yeah, yeah. So it, it's not uncommon, um, you know, for those who participated in the stakeholder um, interviews um, with uh, with NAB Canada. You know, it is something that they say they do all the time, and it is. It really, really is. Uh, there's a department that does this. That was the department that I was working in. Um, but it was always, it was never based on um, whether or not the company needed to save some money. It really had everything to do with, you know, the fact that certain sites change and, and, and some of them don't see as much activity as they used to for whatever reason and other sites do. And now, you know, those resources would be needed elsewhere. Cool. So it's, it's interesting to hear that COPA is a stakeholder in NAV Canada. Um, COPA has been around a long time. And so, Copa, do you guys have you guys have a very active role with Transport Canada, Nav Canada, the government? Um, are they coming to Copa for feedback and input on these things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially during the ADSC mandate, um, and that's kind of where my relationship with uh, with uh, Bernard, the past president, no relation to me. Um, uh, that's that's where the relation developed, and and you know when uh, I was writing um, or uh, evaluating the requirement for uh, ADSB mandate in Canada, um, it became very clear to me that we could not impose this on general aviation, and there was never any consideration in that plan to implement ADSB below twelve thousand five hundred feet where GA flies, because. You know, until we find uh, uh, an affordable way for GA to equip with ADSB, it, it, it's it's not a reasonable request. It's just not. Right. So yes, so COPA to NAV Canada when I was there, which wasn't that long ago, was very much at the forefront of the stakeholders. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so then about nine months ago, right in the middle of a pandemic, you took the helm of COPA, um, became the president and CEO. Um, I guess what attracted you to that role and um, how was the first nine months gone? You were kind of tasked with a few projects right off the bat, weren't you? Yes. So, um, yeah, that was a little bit crazy. Um, I'll admit, um, starting a new career in the middle of a pandemic. Um, to, to be fair, um, I did the application prior to even uh, knowing that the world was about to change uh, dramatically. Um, so, um, we did go through, um, you know, a, a rigorous process. Uh, there were several hours worth of, uh, interviewing. Um, I can assure you that your, your committee was very, very thorough. Um, what attracted me to the position, to be honest, was being able to return back to the other side of the mic. You know, I, I started my career as an aviator. My fondest memories are flying, you know, my little airplanes. Um, and, you know, here, here I was being given the opportunity to bring everything that I have learned over the past, over the, the years, uh, you know, from both of the airspace side uh, and, and bringing all of the connections that I had made, all of the networking efforts that I had done um, and, and come over to this side and, and really um, make an impact on a world that, 
you know, not just captivated me, but captured me from day one. So, I mean, who could resist that really, uh, you know? Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, the, the first nine months for me, you know, I, I still think that I'm in a honeymoon period uh, when it comes to, to the world that I find myself in. Um, you know, yes, I did have, um, and, and still do, and will always have some tasks that, that need to be done. And I think the first real um, task that I had to do uh, when I took the reins um, was to, um, to really um, put a COPA in, in a good place financially, um, you know, and, and, and to, um, you know, put our budget on, on the plus side instead of the negative side. Um, I also had to, um, you know, get the in-house affairs in order and, you know, align our staffing with our strategic goals. Um, and then, um, you know, one of the things, uh, another priority for me at the beginning was to uh, find a way um, to, to plan to incorporate the RPAS pilot community into the COPA family. Uh, we're all going to be sharing the same skies. Um, we all need to learn the same rules, and uh, I think COPA is in a great position to merge those two worlds together because they will inevit inevit inevitably meet at some point in time. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so uh, it, it kept me pretty busy for for uh, the first six months, and uh, and and uh, you know I'm pretty sure you're going to ask me uh, a little later on what the plans are for for the following year. So I'll save it for then. Yeah, I feel like your your background in aviation is almost sets you up perfectly for this role at COPA because the people we need to try and capture are those people who didn't really think about aviation, um, but they see something and it sparks their imagination. Like we need to kind of capture those people and try and bring them into the fold and keep them going on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think the key is, is, is definitely to balance out um, you know, the serious work that we need to do as far as advocacy is concerned and, and um, you know, uh, it, why is it important for, for, uh, for aviators to be COPA members? Uh, simple reason is, uh, is that there's strength in numbers. Uh, you know, there are 30,000 um, GA pilots out there. Uh, half of them are COPA members. Uh, we contribute billions to the Canadian economy. A billion. So, you know, GA flying has to remain possible and it has to remain manageable. And, you know, in order for that to, to happen or to, to continue to happen is that we need to be heard. Um, so the more voices that we represent, the louder our voices are, is, sorry, and, and the harder we, uh, we are to overlook. So, um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, so, and GA isn't just private pilots. It's not just pilot owners. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, student pilots, it's cadets, it's soars, it's uh, community aerodromes, it's aircraft mechanics, it's airpath arp uh, air operators. Um, it's, there's so many more that have a vested interest in keeping GA alive and well. So, you know, we do contribute over $9 billion to the Canadian economy, um, you know, according to a study that uh, COPA actually uh, had someone, uh, an external uh, um, consultant do. Um, less than four years ago mm -hmm. and uh you know flying in canada shouldn't shouldn't just be a privilege uh for the few but it, it should be a right for everyone and we are pretty lucky in canada you go to a lot of places in europe or even like new zealand and australia and it's ga is fairly strict and it's hard to find space to do it and 
Uh, it costs a lot of money. So we, we definitely need to preserve that freedom to fly here as COPA's mandate is. So, yep. um, so you talked about advocacy, advocacy a little bit. Um, that's always going to be a big part of what COPA does. Um, whether that's licensing and medical issues or airport issues, things like that. Can you talk a bit about where COPA fits into the picture in terms of advocacy um, and what tools it has to work with when it comes to that? Absolutely. So we, we, um, so when I came over to COPA, I, I brought with me um, the relationships that I had with uh, the regulator with Transport Canada and, um, you know, with NAV Canada as well. And um, I, I think that we've worked really hard at establishing the credibility of COPA uh, within the regulator. Um, and I think now is a good time to start establishing COPA's uh, credibility with, um, you know, community aerodrome operators as well. Um, we need to, you know, many of them don't, don't understand what we can tr contribute to their communities, uh, what we bring to their communities, the value that we bring to their communities. You know, it, we're not just noisemakers, but that is, the, that is literally not who we are. And I think that we need to start advocating um, and we need to take a proactive approach uh, within all of these small communities where there are um, smaller community aerodromes or even airports and, and start letting people know, you know, what the value that we bring to them even before they, they, they think that we're a problem. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we're, we're seen as a problem because a lack of understanding of, of who we are and what we bring. And um, I think that's gonna be a huge effort on COPA's uh, part this year is to really uh, develop that, that relationship with the, uh, you know, with the people who, who own the land that we land on. Um, so it, it's important for them to understand who we are um, and uh, we're, we're going to try really hard at doing that. We've also, you know, been working really hard, especially during COVID, with all of these changing regulations all the time. Um, you know, we, we've established a relationship with the Director General of Civil Aviation. And uh, he, he's basically on my speed dial now. Um, I consult with him on a regular basis. And every time we do get a message from them, uh, we have been trying really hard to convey that message to our members. Um, and I, I strongly, you know, urge anyone who has an issue of any kind um, to definitely, you can reach out to your regional di director, absolutely. Um, you know, that's why, that's why they're there and that, that's why they're elected by the members. Um, and they in turn bring, bring the issue to us or, you know, they can come to, directly to us. And that's, um, we have Peter Campbell, who is our uh, new director of uh, external relations who has a great relationship with the medical department at Civil Aviation, um, literally sends him email, uh, you know, uh, weekly with, with uh, you know, uh, pilots, uh, our membership that has not received, uh, you know, word for, for their, their licensing, for their medicals. And, and we, we have a great turnaround. And, you know, I, I, I have heard people say, well, we shouldn't have to reach out. And I'm like, maybe we shouldn't have to reach out, but we can reach out. And we're not reaching out for the majority, we're reaching out for a minority. And, and, and the fact that we can do it is, 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 is a great thing. Uh, same thing with, uh, you know, uh, just uh, pilot licensing for, for flight testing or for, for writing examinations. Um, Peter has, a, has established a great relationship with Transport Canada. They are listening to us. 
they are paying attention. Um, we, we will have a seat at the table at the, the TRAN committee. Uh, so we're putting ourselves in a very good place to, to continue our advocacy effort, efforts and, and to, um, to have a seat at the table as, you know, uh, one of the big, um, big associations in terms of um, the uh, aviation industry. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of little wins that go on behind the scenes. Like somebody has a, a medical issue, but um, we, we can advocate on their behalf. And um, I think there was recently a an older pilot who couldn't get insurance, but he was a known person with lots of experience and he was able to get that sorted out through COPA. So, Well, uh, exactly. And, and that's what we're here for. And it's not the majority of people who are having these issues. It's a minority of people. Uh, when we think about, you know, the thousands and thousands of insurers out there, uh, it's really just a handful that that need our assistance, and that's what we're here for. And we do have those relationships, and we do try to make it work. So, yeah. you know, absolutely, we 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 definitely push for our members to to get what what is rightfully um, what is the right. Yeah, and I think it's important that. Um... I've, I've been a director for six months or something like that. And you see, see comments online. Sometimes see people going, well, where's COPA on this situation? And um, people need to realize that COPA is not all seeing, all knowing. Like if you have a local regional issue, you need to reach out to your regional director or to headquarters. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, we, we, yeah. we try to get involved as much as we can in, in as much as we can. Um, but like you said, we, we, we don't have eyes everywhere. There's literally only six people that work in the office. Uh, we're not AOPA. We're not EAA. They have hundreds of employees. Um, you know, um, we, we rely on our membership and our directorship to, to bring us these issues that, 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 that are important that we can, that we can focus on. Um, so we, we, we heavily rely on, on, on that in order to, you know, decide you know where we're going to focus our um our work yeah and as a member driven organization too it's you get out what you put in so exactly yeah yeah um so we talked a little bit about some of the advocacy wins that have happened um what are some of the major things that copo has been involved in recently that have really set the stage nationally like copa often gets involved in things that set precedents or have that, or could be in danger of setting precedents that's not correct. So those are the ones Copa really gets involved in. Yeah. Well, one of one of the things that we're involved in right now um, that we're we're helping with is um, you know is is a uh, a few uh, of our members um, want to build an aerodrome, um, and you know they they've met all of the qualifications. They've done every they've done their due diligence. They followed the letter of um, the letter of the law, um, and due to a political, um, um, I guess, campaign from a former uh, transport minister, um, you know, who basically uh, denied the request, um, not on the basis of the um, Aeronautics Act. Um, so uh, it, we found it important to um, to help them in their fight. Um, with, you know, um, even, you know, the, the people who worked for the minister recommended that, uh, you know, um, they, they open their airdrome. Um, so for us, you know, uh, denying, um, 
an airport to to open on the basis of of uh, opinion is not okay. Um, and if we allow that to happen, then you know that can happen across the country. That you know a political person can can say, "Don't worry, I'm not going to. This isn't going to happen." And and it does everything that they can in order that it doesn't happen. And it's not according to the aeronautic acts. So we we fought really hard uh, for for the changes in in the aeronautic act, um, and uh, it it should be implemented properly. So that's one of the fights that that we're contributing to. Um, you know, we uh, we we also um, have requested to have a seat at the table um, in the discussions for uh, post uh, COVID recovery in the uh, aviation industry, um, because. Uh, I, you know, if we're not at the table, we're going to be forgotten. And like I, I mentioned earlier, we're a huge, huge chunk of the aviation industry in Canada. Uh, maybe not in the sense that, you know, we're not airline carriers, we're not employed by by the airlines, um, but we, we still contribute. Uh, we participate in, in, in you know, um, uh, you know, we contribute uh, financially in, in different ways to the aviation community. And, you know, if we're not part of these conversations, uh, landing fees at airports are going to increase. And we've seen that uh, across the country, Some, sometimes up to 400% landing fees are increasing. You know, this is, this is going to kill general aviation. Uh, it's going to kill the community aerodrome that's trying to impose these fees uh, because, uh, because they need to recover um, somehow. And, and so we, we, we need to be part of those discussions to make that heard and understood. And we're working, we're working really hard to be part of those discussions. Yeah, I just saw a big stimulus package announced in the states for aerodromes and GA. So that's the sort of thing we need to keep in Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Airlines need support, but also all those little mom and pop AME shops and little yeah. airports. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So what's what's your vision for Copa? moving forward and what are some of your, your goals in the short term and then maybe in the long term? Well, obviously, um, you know, um, what I mentioned earlier is that there's strength in numbers. So I definitely, uh, you know, one of my focuses is going to be uh, strengthening the numbers um, of, of uh, you know, COPA membership and, uh, and increasing uh, our voice uh, within uh, our stakeholders and our regulator and, and NAV Canada. Uh, I think my predecessor has done a great job at at, at at doing that, and I definitely want to to continue to do that and 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 to take it even further. Um, you know, and and by doing that is is by introducing this this new RPAS membership. Um, another um, big um, uh, project that we're going to be uh, working on this year um, is, you know, I, I've heard um, Copa Flight feel a little bit. Um, disengaged, they feel a little bit um, left left to their own. So we're we're, we're planning, um, you know, um, we're planning a program um, for our Copa flights so that they are engaged and and so that they, you know, we're 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 uh, you know we're we're developing a leadership summit um, for for our Copa flights. And, you know, that to encourage our, you know, how to encourage the youth, uh, the younger generation to, to take part in a Copa flight, uh, the importance of joining a Copa flight, um, you know, uh, 
examples on how to organize activities and, uh, you know, including copal flights in our awards ceremony, um, you know, to, to signal out, you know, the ones that, that are working hard at, 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 um, at, at being who, who, who they are for, for COPA. So that's, that's something that we're going to be looking towards this year. And of course, we're, we're planning this online event. Um, first time ever. Um, unfortunately, we had to cancel our in-person event, uh, which was really sad. It would have been my first one. Um, and I was really looking forward to it. But um, we're, we're, we're not canceling it. We're postponing it to 2022. Um, and we're, we're, we're busy um, creating a great uh, one-day online event um, for our members, uh, which hopefully uh, they're going to think it's uh, informative and, 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 and fun at the same time. Yeah. So a virtual AGM and sort of fly, virtual fly-in. <laughs> yeah. We're calling it the yeah. uh, virtual national fly-in and aviation exhibition. Nice. Yeah. And going back to the COPA flights too, I think it's important to empower the COPA flights to reach out to the community and help do some of that outreach and showing the community what's happening at the airport and that yeah, there's, there's very, value. Very much at the forefront um, of our planning um, early on in the year, as well as, uh, you know, modernizing our Discovery GA and COPA for Kids program um, and introducing um, a mentorship program. So, um, you know, all of those three programs are going to be rolled into one. They're going to become one. And, uh, you know, we're going to change the structure a little bit, but we definitely want to continue to encourage the COPA for Kids events and, uh, you know, um, but giving it a, a modern twist so that uh, we can attract the, the right people to, to the event in, in mass numbers. Nice. Um, what do you see as COPA's sort of biggest strength? And then what can COPA do better? What would you like to improve? I think, I think our biggest strength um, is, is the enthusiasm that we have, uh, the passion that we have, for aviation, um, I, I think that's our biggest driver. Um, our, our, I think our biggest downfall, and that's definitely something that I'm trying to um, to correct, is um, we react more than we are proactive. Mm. And I really want to focus on on being more proactive to issues before they even become issues. Uh, we know the things that have that, you know, that have been a concern to, to us in the past. And I think that if we plan well enough, if we have a strategy on, on um, you know, government relations, if we have a strategy on, on advocacy, um, we can put ourselves in a position where we are proactive and not reactive. And uh, I, I, I think that that's, that's my vision uh, moving forward for, with COPA. Yeah. Not always getting into battles, <laughs> more just. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a lover than a fighter. So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the kids, Cooper for kids. Um, what's, what's the key element for strengthening GA for the future in Canada? Do you think? Well, I, I think it's, it's being more inclusive, uh, definitely, uh, and um, it's, it's finding new ways to promote who we are um you know um it, it's going into in, into the schools i think people think of pilots uh you know um there's a lot being done for women in aviation there's a lot 
um, you know, being done for um, careers in aviation. Um, people don't necessarily know that this doesn't have to be a career. And uh, this can be something that is, uh, you know, an add-on to, to your life, uh, a fantastic add-on to your life. And, and by being part of who we are, by having that strength in numbers, we can continue to fight to keep it affordable and manageable so that it can become an add-on to your life and, and not, you know, and, and, and uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. If you had a, a request for COPA members um, or COPA flights around the country, what would it be? Uh, reach out to us. Um, I, 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 that's, that's my biggest request to COPA flights. I will attend every single COPA flight meeting that I am invited to. I will never turn it down. I will never be too busy. Uh, if it's not myself, uh, you know, I definitely want uh, our COPA flights and our COPA members to get to know Peter Campbell, who is our director of external relations. I want them to get to know uh, Sharon Chung, who is our director for um, national programming. Uh, they're both uh, incredible additions to COPA. They they have they have the drive, they have the vision. You know, Peter has a background in in uh, in the military, um, and uh, he was a RPAF operator for the military. He's been a CFI for the past twelve years. Um, so he's he's you know he's got that passion for us as well. Um, and Sharon um, Sharon has these fantastic ideas on on how to make our programming better uh, and more inclusive. Uh, so for me, it's, you know, send us your ideas, send us your requests to, to meet with you uh, so that we can discuss these things. Uh, you know, what, what, what are the things that concern you the most? What do you want us to be working on? Because at the end of the day, you know, my, my employer it, are the members. Uh, so, uh, you know, if I'm not doing for them what they need, then I'm not doing my job. Um, so that's my biggest request is reach out, talk to us and invite us to speak with you. Awesome. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> got through a lot of a lot of the things we wanted to talk about there. Is there anything else you uh, think is important to talk about? You want to talk about insurance? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. You know, the only thing I'm going to mention about insurance is that uh, it's not just a Canadian issue. Um, mm -hmm. It is. It it is. Uh, you know, uh, the United States is is having the same issue. Uh, you know, seeing seeing insurance increases between 10% uh, to 100% in the in the U.S. Um, I think it's a very difficult time for the insurance uh, uh, insurance companies right now. Um, and um, I, I will say that uh, our broker Magnus um, works really really hard and diligently at, at trying to get the best for our members. And 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 I, I will tell you without a doubt that she does that. She responds to my emails at 9.30 at night uh, on Saturdays, on Sundays, um, you know, and, and she's, she, she really doesn't like it when she can't uh, help a member. Uh, she feels it. Um, uh, she's, she's a private pilot herself. She's a member of COPA herself. Um, so she does understand, um, you know, unfortunately, there will never be a one-size-fits-all insurance program. Those don't exist anywhere in the world. Um, we continue to, and, and with Magnus, continue to evaluate to make sure that we do have the best program to include the most people. 
um, because, you know, again, strength in numbers, uh, the more people we can ensure in, in our program, uh, the better it is, the better rates that we can get. Um, but insurance is, is not just based on you personally, right? It's yeah, insurance, uh, aviation insurance is based on, on, on the whole. So if there are many, uh, float plane accidents, um, in one year that has taken up a lot of the resources out of that, you know, uh, the, the, the COPA bucket, well, you can rest assured that the rest of the, uh, the full plane pilots are going to be paying for it for years to come to refill that bucket. Um, mm -hmm. because that's where the, they're assessing the risk in, in float flying, um, that year. And, and, and so that's where the increase is going to happen. Um, and so that's a little bit on how they, they do their, you know, assessing risks. And that is the biggest reason for starting the safety program. So the safety program will address, um, a lot of issues um, that were brought to us by the insurance company. And we are hoping that by having our members attend as many as they can, there's a huge prize at the end of the year. Uh, the more seminars you attend, the more entries you get into the draw for the final prize. And I'm telling you, it's a good prize. Um, we're not, we're not divulging what it is just yet. We, you know, we got to keep the buildup going. Um, the more seminars you attend, the more entries that you get, and and the safer, um, you know, uh, everybody everybody can benefit from from honing in on their skills, from learning something new. Uh, you know, we're we're not we're not no alls and be alls. There's always something new to learn, um, and especially especially right now when you know many of us haven't been able to go out and fly because of you know the health restrictions that have been put in place in many parts of the country. So we're hoping that this will will help. Actually, we know that this will help. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's um, every month this year. There's going to be a, a safety seminar online, and people can find that on the COPA website. More information. Yeah, and, and it's not it, just going to be this year. It's going to be next year. It's going to be the year after. This is an ongoing program, and we will be having seminars. Not always hosted by by COPA National. Uh, we do want to get the COPA flights uh, involved in. Um, uh, in in preparing some of these uh, for national distribution, so you know uh, the vision is to have Copa Flight take over the uh, the the webinar and 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 host uh, a safety seminar for the rest of the country, and that way we get to know a little bit about the Copa Flight that you may you know if you're in BC you don't necessarily know uh, the people from uh, from the East Coast. And, and so it becomes a little bit more, um, you know, mixing uh, the, the country together and getting to know the different cultural sites. And, um, and, and so having them uh, be the host of, of these seminars is, is something that's in the, uh, in the plan. Oh, that's great. And those yeah. are available to uh, COPA members and non-COPA members too, which is great. So the seminar itself on the day is available to all of general aviation. We think that, uh, you know, um, uh, advertising uh, or adv advocating safety for the whole of a GA is beneficial. Um, and members uh, are the ones who, uh, you know, can view them online afterwards. So it's only available to our, in our members only section for viewing after the seminar. And of course, uh, the big prize at the end of the year um, is available to a member only. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, um, I'm sure we'll have you back on this year uh, for regular updates from COPA. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining me today and uh, hopefully you get out flying and get some time to keep doing that. Well, thank you very much. Winter I reserve for skiing. 
and uh, I, I'll, I'll, I am looking, I am in the market for, for an airplane. I'm looking for uh, either a Cessna 172 or a, or a uh, Cherokee 140, you know, some sort of, some sort of trainer. So as soon as I get that, um, I'll definitely start doing some more flying. And, uh, but I, I'm not big on the uh, minus 15 walk around. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I'll Easier to see her now and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll start flying in the spring. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Roy. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Christine a little better. If you're a COPA member, thank you for helping create strength in numbers. If you're not a member, please consider joining. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes at COPA on behalf of all aviators, and it's worth supporting our freedom to fly. And as Christine said, if you have an issue, if you have a problem, if you have a question, reach out to either COPA headquarters or one of your regional directors. Here in BC, you can reach out to me or Kate Klassen. Also, if you're a student pilot, you can get a free one-year membership. Check out copanational.org for news and membership information and contact info for your directors. And again, if you want to come have some fun with me and other aviators in a beautiful mountain setting this summer, please sign up to the Flying BC mailing list at flyingbc.com and you'll be the first to know about the Aviation Adventure Camp. I also might pick a few of the first mailing list members to receive a Flying BC patch in the mail too. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Flying British Columbia, Flying BC on Facebook, or by email podcast at flyingbc.com. Thanks for listening. And now you have control.